Southwest or United? Oh, United. Border Collies or Australian Shepherds? Australian Shepherds. Do you like mobile vets or vet clinics better? That's tough. I think I'm going to say mobile. Large animal, small animal, or hospitals that serve both? Large animal. Do you prefer <laughs> anesthesia or foaling? Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> oh, right now I'm going to say foaling. It's spring. <laughs> Good answer. Yes, we're all looking forward to those. <laughs> <laughs> Continuing education courses online or in person? In person. AAP that's coming up in Vegas this year. Is that a yay or a nay for you? It's always a yay. I, I love the conference. Uh, Vegas is not my favorite. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. <laughs> and do you like red wine or white wine better? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay, I'm going with red. <laughs> Good choice. And then if you could travel anywhere, would you rather go to Europe or would you rather go somewhere tropical? Europe and South Africa are like right there for me now. Good choices. Hey folks, this podcast goes beyond the saddle as we explore professional careers across the equine industry. I'm your host, Katie Kleinville. Let's tack up and head out. In 2003, Deb Reeder founded the American Association of Equine Veterinary Technicians and is currently the program's executive director. Deb also helped to form the Academy, Specialty in Equine Veterinary Nursing, and the Society for Equine Veterinary Anesthesia. In addition, Deb manages and oversees the AAEVT Online Equine Certificate Academy. Her passion and her time are devoted to the AAEVT, mentoring, working with vet tech programs, and the industry to incorporate more equine, and working to promote the equine veterinary technician profession as a whole. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Deb. We are looking forward to hearing everything there is to know about being a veterinary technician and getting to know your career. So thanks for joining us today. I'm very excited to be able to share all this with your audience. And um, yes, this is an awesome opportunity. Thank you. Can you give us a synopsis of what your job is and what you do so we can get to know you? So I started out as a, well, actually, I was a flight attendant way back in the day, but then I became a veterinary technician. And through all of that, I, you know, I loved working with horses and you know, learned a lot as an actual vet tech, but then I also realized that there was a niche that needed to be filled for those veterinary technicians, and I formed the AABT, and I'm now the executive director of that. It's a nonprofit association for equine veterinary technicians, students, assistants, and really anyone that works in the equine veterinary practice or industry really we welcome industry partners as well so my my main job now is working with sponsors uh, and our pharmaceutical friends our media friends and i help coordinate and do all the logistics for any of our continuing education events uh, which we put on three or four throughout the year across the united states I work with our marketing team. I help out with membership questions and trying to find ways to increase our membership. And then I'm always focused on the vision and our initiatives and making sure those align 
I'm always looking for ways to educate the public and the veterinarian and the industry about who we are and how we can contribute. And then, of course, I'm working with our board, who is made up of uh, seven other volunteers uh, across the United States. And so I work, you know, intricately with them and just help brainstorm with them and bring these initiatives to life and um, carry forward. Wow. So you started it from the ground up and now you get to kind of lead it into the future. That's amazing. Yes. It was just a brainstorm that, you know, came to life. (laughs) That's so great. Just for perspective, how many um, like employees or team members now work with the AAEVT? We have a board of eight. Um, and then I have uh, one of the board members is our treasurer, and she's actually a contract person like my myself. She's actually in Canada and has been our treasurer now for almost 10 years. And then I have an assistant director um, who I'm mentoring into my position. And so I work with her. We don't have any staff. We don't have an office. I work out of my home. Uh, so we keep our overhead pretty thin. There's about, we have about pretty close to a thousand members all over North America and Canada. We also have members throughout Europe and South Africa, Australia, some in Mexico. We are worldwide, um, but the majority, of course, of our members are here in the United States. Sure, that makes sense. Well, I'm looking forward to getting to know more about the organization itself and kind of your vision for that. But I also wanted to ask you if you could talk a little bit about the daily life and like a synopsis of what it is to be a veterinary technician. So people get a better feel for those students and those members that you're serving. So first of all, I'd like to just kind of clarify some of the um, titles that we use in the veterinary world. Um, A credentialed veterinary technician, which is what I am, is someone who's gone through a two-year college program sat for state and national boards, and you are credentialed. And the title that you bear depends right now on the state where you are. For instance, here in Texas, I'm a registered veterinary technician, or I have been for 30 years, and then they changed it to licensed just a couple of years ago. But there's a variety of titles that are being used, and we're trying to standardize that to one title. So that is what a credentialed veterinary technician is. And the term veterinary technician is used a little loosely to kind of encompass everyone, those who are credentialed and those who are on the job trained or assistants. So I I just want to make that distinction that, you know, while we're talking about that, we're going to use that term as all encompassing, but to make sure everybody understands there is a difference. And where that comes to play is in uh, various States, their practice acts, rules and regulations, levels of supervision as to who can do what in a veterinary practice is determined a lot of times by whether or not you are credentialed or if you are an assistant. The majority of people who work in an equine practice are assistants. Um, it's just uh, what our industry, you know, kind of floats towards, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, they're highly skills because they have been around horses, you know, all of their life. They have have great horsemanship skills, which is one of the key, I think, requirements. Um, Dogs and cats can bite and scratch, but horses can kick. 
so, you know, I think that's one of the, the first requirements is to have great horsemanship skills and, you know, know your horse and be able to keep your veterinarian, the client and, you know, others around you in a veterinary setting or out on a farm, wherever you are, safe. And then the rest of our kind of our areas of responsibility is we assist with um, exams. When a client brings their horse in, we'll probably do a temperature pulse and respiration and just a real quick overall assessment of the horse, make notes and let the veterinarian uh, read those and then take it from there. We assist with exams uh, like pre-purchase exams, lameness exams, colic exams, and we do um, a lot of the lab work um, that's required in a veterinary practice, anywhere from, you know, fecals to, you know, running intricate blood tests. We take x-rays. Um, the, the veterinarian always reads these. We can't diagnose, prescribe, or perform surgery. Those are the three areas that are, you know, elevated into the hands of a, a you know, a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. But we can take the x-rays, we can perform ultrasounds, and we can assist with endoscopy as long as the veterinarian is able to then, you know, use those images to diagnose. We do a lot of the treatment as prescribed by the veterinarian. We'll check on ICU cases. Uh, we assist in surgery. We will monitor and set up and run anesthesia. And then we also perform a lot of the other modalities that are used either in treatments or in diagnoses, and that's like MRIs, uh, bone scans, uh, we'll perform shockwave, laser treatments. Um, Again, all this is prescribed by the veterinarian. We don't do any of this on our own. Everything that we do is under the supervision and direction of a veterinarian. And then we'll draw up vaccinations and, um, you know, anything that's needed, like for farm calls, uh, we make sure that we stock the truck for ambulatory or the exam rooms. So you have to be very familiar with the the drugs that are being used uh, and what is needed for different appointments and different calls. And uh, so you have to know how to manage inventory. Then we can also assist with dentals and reproduction. It's pretty much a, you know, a catch-all. You will have a lot of clinics where you are referral centers. So it's a little more high-end as far as the equipment that, that is there, um, some of the um, appointments and procedures that you might be doing. And then, you know, you can have your, you know, one veterinarian who's in his truck all day long or out of a very small clinic and you may not have any stalls or treatments or anything so we can run the entire gamut or you can work on a thoroughbred farm in kentucky helping with foals um, getting mares ready and stallions and you know all of that so it can run the full gamut it's a lot there's so many things to know and why that education is so important so just as a synopsis and you can correct me if i'm wrong but really a vet tech or an assistant really keeps the wheels turning right and it sounds like they're almost more hands-on than the veterinarian because they can go in check on the horse keep things up to date you know take the records take the inventory making sure that they have everything they need and then report back to the veterinarian for further guidance Absolutely. And I think one of the strongest skill sets is anticipation, being able to anticipate what that veterinarian is going to need for that particular appointment or that particular horse. 
and making sure you have everything ready. Or if something pops up, you know, you know where to get it. So anticipation is a, a, a huge skill set to, you know, to have. That's perfect. I was just going to ask, who do you think is a good candidate or what qualities make you a good candidate to kind of pursue this? And that's a perfect answer is someone that can anticipate and plan ahead and very organized and can, you know, interpret the situation. And it's just like everybody goes, oh, I, you know, I want to just work with horses. Well, we don't just work with horses. We work with people more than we do horses <laughs> most of the time. So you also have to have a, a good stall side manner with the horse and with the client. What's a common myth that people might have about being a veterinary technician? And can we bust it? We don't work on famous horses all day long, like, you know, <laughs> um, Secretariat you know, Seattle Slough and some of the, the Pharaoh, American Pharaoh, all those. We don't, you know, we are working on a variety of horses with a, a variety of clientele. And like I said, you are working with people day in, day out. It can be an extremely rewarding career and it also can be heartbreaking. You get dirty. This is not prissy kind of job. You you can get very dirty. You can be extremely tired. You never get lunch. Um, lunch is just not an option. <laughs> and the pay is really not commiserate at all with what we are asked to do. And that's one of the downsides of this profession. And we are trying to raise that, you know, through education, but it's just not a glorified career. Yes, you know, a lot of people stay in it because they love horses and they feel they're making a difference which we are. However, a lot leave this field because of the pay. Um, They just can't support themselves or their family. And the hours are long. But a lot of us have hung in there for a long time. And if you love it, you love it, right? We call it the passion tax. If you're doing something you love, you pay that passion tax. And for a lot of people, it's worth it. That's true. That's true. Well, let's talk a little bit more about you. You gave us the 10,000 foot view of kind of your journey from flight attendant to veterinary technician to now executive director of this organization. But I'd love to get a little bit more of the granular view of what was that process? How'd you end up here? Well, as a flight attendant, um, of course, I've always been around horses all my life. And I happened into owning a couple of racehorses and Lo and behold, they always ended up at the vet clinic. So <laughs> I proceeded to, you know, always follow them in there and see what was going on. And I was just intrigued with, um, you know, like the surgery room and anesthesia and, you know, the, the different treatments. I, I never thought it was in my makeup, but it, it was. So then I found out there was actually a career associated with this veterinary technician. And at 33, I went to school to learn how to become a veterinary technician. And it was a two-year college program. I had um, kids while I was going through the school, got out and started working in an equine practice um, fairly close to me and made mistakes, realized I didn't know everything I thought I, you know, thought I knew. <laughs> However, um, you know, it was, it was a challenging, rewarding experience. You know, I glommed on to it. I think you know, when I was growing up on the ranch, I remember helping the veterinarian there pull calves. And I think I, you know, I asked, you know, well, gosh, can I learn how to do this? And, you know, the response back then was, well, no, you're a female. Veterinarians are males. You know, that was, that was kind of the, 
the genre back then. So this was my um, shot at it. And I, I don't ever regret not going to vet school. That was just not for me. I really enjoyed the um, kind of the taking care of aspect of it. And so veterinary technician was, you know, a perfect role. And I've been at it, gosh, I was adding it up the other day, I guess 38, 39 years. Wow. <laughs> well, kudos to you so. for breaking the mold and following that that interest that was fostered at, at those vet clinics with your racehorses. That's very cool. Can you tell us more about what it was like to found your organization and like what need you saw that why we needed to have AAEVT? Well, there was a group of us um, technicians here in Texas who we would get together and we'd try and put on little CE events and, you know, trying to train other technicians because there was no formal place for those who were working with horses to get more training or more education or continuing education. We all put our heads together and put on a program. We had some sponsors that helped us out and veterinarians heard about it and asked us, you know, gosh, this is great. Can you guys take this on the road so that our technicians can come? So I went to the AAEP, which is the Equine Practitioners Association and asked them, they would support us in creating an association where we could provide this kind of training and education and networking. And it just took off like wildfire because we were filling a need. There was a huge need. There were, you know, at that time, I think there was probably 5,000 equine veterinarians and they all had someone working for them and no place for those people to network, learn more, have a voice or um, come together and, um, you know, share and, and learn from each other. I think that was the biggest thing is, you know, we just filled a real need and we continue to fill it you know, to this day, uh, we have a great relationship right now with the AEP. Our sponsors, you know, are so supportive and, and love our group. And we get amazing um, speakers willing to instruct and put on lectures and um, wet labs. I think one of the coolest things is it's not hard to ask. Um, can you help us? Because everybody's very willing and sees the need um, for it. And we're, you know, we're doing, I feel, an excellent job um, as an association. We've, um, we created an equine manual within a couple of years of forming. We have an online certificate program that is equine only. So those that don't want to go to a formal college program, they can go through our program and at least get some kind of recognition. And it's cool. also for those who are going through an AVMA accredited program, college program, who don't have enough equine because those AVMA programs don't do very much equine at all. Sure. And so this is an adjunct for them. Cool. So we continue to, to fill a need and, you know, work with the, the veterinary, the equine veterinary industry on how can we best contribute. It's been great. It's been amazing. Sounds like you just dove in head first and you had the support of the AAP and the people around you. So why not? It was awesome. Was it obvious to you that this is where you'd end up once you got inspired? Did you think, yep, I'm going to lead this new organization? And I mean, was this a total curveball for you? 
I had no idea I would still be here or <laughs> that this would have taken off the way it did. I don't think I really looked um, that far in advance at that time. I just was feeling a need and, and, you know, you're quickly just trying to put projects and initiatives in place to support the foundation for growth, which, mm -hmm. you know, wasn't just me. Um, you know, Sherry Miller was the other person that was instrumental in getting the association started, plus the, the technicians here in Texas. And everybody just chipped in and, and did their part. And we continue to brainstorm today on how we can grow and make ourselves future proof as an association so that we're continuing to serve because the industry is changing and there is more uh, technology and online um, kind of access that 15, 18 years ago wasn't the norm. Uh, so no, I had no idea this is what I would be doing by any means. It was, it's been very, very rewarding for me as well as I know it's been a contribution. So it's been cool. Did you hit any roadblocks along the way? Oh my gosh. At the beginning, really not too many. I think it's more logistics. Oh my gosh, I wish we could do that. And we just don't have the money, you know, sure. to do it. Uh, we rely heavily on our sponsors um, because we don't charge a lot for our membership. So I think the roadblocks are mainly, gosh, I wish we had a benefactor. Sure. <laughs> to help us. But we try to do as much as we can do within our financial constraints. And we're very careful with our sponsor money. We, you know, we don't go crazy and we're, you know, we continually bounce back and forth with them on any initiatives or projects that we want to do and make sure it's in alignment. Um, and the same with the AEP, you know, we don't go off and do anything that isn't in alignment with them. So we're trying to keep, you know, the, the focus and the vision of the equine veterinary industry, you know, intact um, is the best way we can. Well, what's next for you? Are you hoping to learn about something new or what are you curious about now? I think what I'm learning now is how to pass the baton. Um, to the next, you know, generation and, and the next uh, group of people to lead this forward, um, to trust that a foundation has been laid, you know, down and um, let this new group take this where it's meant to go. You know, what I'm learning to do is kind of let go here a little bit. What advice do you have for that next generation that's coming on? What would you tell them? I think, um, you know, if they're serious about this as a profession, you know, first of all, go volunteer in a veterinary clinic or ride along with a vet or, you know, hang out with a pharmaceutical rep, you know, anything in that arena, even a zoo or a wildlife park. And, you know, just get a feel for it day in and day out. And then if you are serious about, you know, earning a degree, you know, go find a good program. And especially if you have an equine interest, find one that has an equine DVM teaching the large animal and the equine, a good instructor, and actually interview that school and interview that uh, potential, you know, instructor. I would also, you know, get the support of a veterinary clinic while you're doing that so that, you know, you can work tag team with them. And really take time for yourself. Um, 
burnout is huge in our industry um, because we are compassionate folks and we put others in front of ourselves. So, you know, just um, be diligent about taking care of you first. Uh, don't settle uh, for a job that doesn't fulfill you, for a boss that doesn't respect you, or for other team members that, you know, are not of your culture, vision, mission, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, just don't settle for a job or a position that doesn't fulfill you or let you become who you're, you know, meant to be as far as in your professional career. And by that, be open to opportunities and um, be willing to branch out. Uh, networking is huge. You know, find a mentor, find a group of people, you know, find a sector in this industry that juices you and um, find a skill set. For me, it was anesthesia. Um, I loved anesthesia. And so many other people were scared to death of it. Um, maybe I was not very smart, but I thoroughly enjoyed it and I loved it. And so, you know, that was kind of my niche for, for quite a while. And so find a niche that juices you and learn all you can about it. Be the expert and don't be afraid that, okay, well, you know, in a couple of years, I'm going to learn something else. Go expand because you never know where it's going to lead you. That is great advice. I mean, there's nuggets of wisdom in there for everyone. I mean, yes, those who are going into the vet scene and the vet world, but also just anybody who is looking to start out and don't settle. I love that. That's my favorite one. Well, let's talk horses, Deb. What is your most <laughs> memorable moment with horses? I grew up on a working cattle ranch, and I think one of my, some of my memories, you know, looking back is uh, I had a, a Shetland pony and a a Welsh pony growing up and named Pokey and the Welsh was a champ and Shetland ponies. You think they're great little things cause you can climb right on them. Well, they learned very quickly how to just run us up and down the, the fences. So you learned how to ride side saddle or um, jump off um, <laughs> very adeptly. So um, I don't know. Those are some of my, fond memories there. I think um, later on in life, a nice thoroughbred back in Kentucky had a bowed tendon. I brought him back and got him back on his feet and ended up showing him three-day eventing. And he did awesome and was just one of my best, best friends. And then I think there's a special foal that I sat up with in ICU. Uh, he was an orphan and you know, I really thought at four in the morning he was going to make it and the veterinarian was on his way in and I said, oh, he's still breathing, you know, he's doing okay. And then just like that, you know, he stopped. Yeah. And those are the heartbreaking moments. You're doing everything you can. Yeah. And then I just, you know, the horses that I've come in contact with through the years, you know, working at clinics or, you know, being around, getting to see some of my, you know, favorite racehorses at Kentucky and in California and, you know, even here in Texas. They are awesome, awesome creatures. And I'm just very thankful I've been able to work with them throughout my life. And they've taught me more about myself than I know I've ever taught them. There's that passion. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Do you have a specific most memorable moment in your equine industry career? I mean, you talked about that foal, which is a pretty memorable moment, but I didn't know if you had another. 
and being thanked for my peers for creating this and helping create it mm -hmm. and keeping it going. That's been pretty memorable. I never in my wildest dreams thought that that would be my contribution. <laughs> well, can you share your horse industry recommendation? So it can be anything that's horse related, whether it's events or products or media or just anything that's related to the horse that you think our listeners would also like. There's horse events put on by, you know, feed stores. And, and a lot of times the sponsors will put on educational events for clients and horse owners. I mean, the first one that comes to my mind, of course, is Purina. And so I think always just look for those kind of events. And if they're supported by, you know, veterinarians or, you know, uh, companies that are very much involved in the, the equine veterinary industry, they're always just top notch and you always are going to come away with something golden. Do you have any non-horse recommendations? So kind of a little insight into you, but maybe something that you think our listeners would like <laughs> that's maybe a book or a place you've been or a dessert that you love or literally anything. <laughs> well, if anybody follows me on Facebook, they know I'm very much a wine aficionado. Uh -huh. And so I have, um, earned several certificates in second level psalm in wine and I'm continuing to do that and I have my own side retirement business. Um, I'm an ambassador for uh, the Boisset collection of wine. So that is my, uh, my other side gig passion. Uh, wine and horses just seem to go together. I, I'm not sure about I agree. that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story and, you know, telling us more about your organization. Oh, well, you're welcome. And again, thank you for the opportunity to share. And it is all about the horse. Thanks for riding along. Know someone that would be great to interview? Have questions you'd like answered on the podcast? Send me an email at beyondthesaddlepodcast at gmail.com or join the conversation on social media. You can connect with us and learn more about the Beyond the Saddle podcast by following us on Facebook and Instagram at at Beyond the Saddle podcast. Find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Beyond the Saddle is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network.